And now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the program for August 22nd, 2023, which we count in the Hebrew calendar as the 5th of Elul, 5783. I am Walter Bingham. And first of all, I wish all my Jewish listeners Chodesh Tov, a very meaningful month, a month of introspection and taking stock before we enter Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Today, we shall be speaking about the fallout and effects of the new legislation and its alleged consequences. Australia's change of mind, intermarriage and, of course, the shenanigans in the United States. Your comments on those subjects are always welcome, so write to walter at israelnewstalkradio.com where you will always get my personal reply. But please listen to the show and don't just shoot from the hip about the headlines. Israel's democracy is in danger, but not as the opposition claims because of the restrictions on the Supreme Court to overturn legislation, but because the country's democratically legislated laws are not being respected, and according to Israel's Channel 12 news, IDF Chief of Staff Herzi Halevi, Mossad Chief David Barnea, and Shin Bet Chief Ronan are considering to release a statement together which appears to be supporting some of the IDF and security forces' refusal to serve in protest against the judicial reform. Their intentions are akin to what one could expect in a banana republic, but not in a democracy. They demanded to address the cabinet on the state of security forces' readiness, considering the controversy. But to grant that privilege is the prime ministers, who did not agree. Musachif Banea denied the reports. During the Foreign Affairs and Defence Committee's discussions some days ago, Defence Minister Joaf Galan said there is limited damage to the IDF's competence in the short term. There is a possibility of damage in the long term. He added, the internal tensions are analysed and studied by our enemy. Hezbollah holds the opinion that they now have a greater freedom of action below the threshold of escalation. Khan TV reported that a senior IDF official warned MKs that the readiness of the army is decreasing and that our enemies see the current situation in Israel as a good opportunity to attack Israel. Israel's finance ministry decided to withhold funds earmarked for medical coverage for some 14,000 Ukrainian refugees in Israel. Ukraine's ambassador to Israel, Yevgen Kominichok, reacted strongly. We are deeply disappointed, he said, and troubled by the recent decision made by the Israeli government to terminate health insurance benefits for Ukrainian refugees. Not only does the Israeli government refuse to sell Ukraine protective measures against the murder of our civilians by the Russians, now Israel is also stopping medical assistance for refugees who fled to Israel from the threat of brutal killing 
at the hands of the Russians. We call on the Israeli government not to turn their back on a basic humanitarian act of concern for the health of our refugees, Komyechuk said. He also appealed to Finance Minister Bezalel Smotrich to reconsider the decision and demonstrate, quote, an act of compassion by ensuring Ukrainian refugees have access to essential social protection and health insurance. Breaking news. Just as I had almost finished preparing the program, it was announced from the Prime Minister's office that Finance Minister Bezalel Smotrich has decided to extend the social and health assistance until the end of this year to those who have fled from the war in Ukraine. Australia will resume referring to the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza as the occupied Palestinian territories, an unofficial policy change after the term fell out of favour over the past decade. At a recent Labour Party caucus briefing, Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong said the government was strengthening its opposition to Israeli settlements in the West Bank by, quote, affirming they are illegal under international law and a significant obstacle to peace, adding that the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza were occupied by Israel following the 1967 Six-Day War, but according to a report by the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, most Australian ministers have avoided using the words occupied and occupation since 2014. Wong's announcement was criticised by members of the parliamentary opposition who questioned her timing just before the Labour Party's national conference. Simon Birmingham, the opposition's foreign affairs spokesman, said the decision had, quote, everything to do with managing factional differences ahead of their national conference and nothing to do with advancing a lasting two-state outcome. The former Attorney-General George Brandis, a member of the centre-right Liberal Party, said the phrase occupied East Jerusalem was loaded with pejorative implications which is neither appropriate nor useful. The decision also drew ire from the Zionist Federation of Australia and the Executive Council of Australian Jewry, which issued a joint statement calling the change in language inaccurate, anhistorical and counterproductive. Describing East Jerusalem, the West Bank and Gaza as occupied Palestinian territories effectively denies any Jewish claim to the West Bank and Jerusalem. However, Wong said the language is consistent with United Nations Security Council resolutions. Resolution 2334 states that, quote, the establishment by Israel of settlements in the Palestinian territory occupied since 1967, including East Jerusalem, has no legal validity and constitutes a flagrant violation under law. Wong also said that she had briefed the Israeli ambassador and that Australia remained a committed friend of Israel. 
To me, that's a contradiction. British Jews are half as likely to marry outside their faith as do American Jews, according to a report released last week. The study on global trends that, according to their claim, lifts the lid on Jewish relationships across the globe was published by Dr. Daniel Stutz of the European Jewish Demography Unit of the London-based Institute of Jewish Policy Research, the JPR. 22% of community members in the UK marry non-Jews, the third lowest intermarriage rate in the diaspora, while that figure soars to 45% across the Atlantic, according to that report. Among those who were married since 2010, 61% are intermarried. In Europe, 50% are marrying non-Jews. There's a metaphorical abyss between Israel and the diaspora when it comes to intermarriage, Stetsky said. While 40% of married Jews in the diaspora are married to non-Jews, only 5% of married Jews in Israel are intermarried. That is really not a surprising fact, since in Israel we are surrounded by Jews. Most Jews today in Hungary, Russia, Poland, Sweden and Denmark are married to non-Jews, JPR said. Belgian Jews were found to be least likely to marry a non-Jew, with only 14% opting to do so, while in Poland, where the Jewish population numbers around 15,000, more than three-quarters have married a non-Jew. Stetsky believes that intermarriage across the world is not the existential threat it's sometimes seen as. These days, it would be imprecise or incorrect to see intermarriage as a threat to Jewish demographic sustainability, he says. It may have been different in the past, but today the main threat is low fertility. The report states that the rising prevalence of intermarriage over time in the U.S. has been offset somewhat by the growing Haredi and Orthodox populations. Well, compared to other reports that I read, this one places the numbers considerably lower and greatly underestimates the numbers of intermarriage. When reading the report, regrettably, I detect a tacit acceptance of intermarriage and therefore view its findings with great skepticism. While on the subject of Jews and non-Jews, Here is an interesting case. Ghislaine Maxwell, 61 years old, a British socialite, is currently serving 20 years in a Florida jail for her role in recruiting and grooming teenage girls for her lover Jeffrey Epstein's sexual pleasure. Epstein killed himself in a prison cell in a Manhattan jail in 2019 where he was awaiting his trial. Maxwell, whose mother was a Christian, has now listed Judaism as her religion and will therefore receive kosher food, access to a rabbi, time off work on Shabbat and breaks from prison duties on Jewish holidays, according to the Sun newspaper. But it gave no details of any conversion. I wonder what other obligations she follows as a Jewish woman. It reminds me of those whose Judaism is chicken soup and gefilte fish.
Gillian Maxwell's father, Robert, was a former Labour member of Parliament and a media mogul who in 1980 employed 16,000 people and he came from an Orthodox Jewish family in Czechoslovakia. When looking at the world of politics, it is impossible to ignore the theatre of the absurd that is currently going on in the United States. For me, looking in from the outside, the cases surrounding former President Trump seem like a Greek tragedy, a play in which the protagonist, usually a person of importance and outstanding personal qualities, gets into difficulties through circumstances beyond his control. This week, Fulton County, within the state of Georgia, was getting in on the act by the farce of filing 10 indictments against Donald Trump and 18 others, including his lawyers who advised Trump in challenging the results of the presidential election in that state. It is dangerous for the future to criminalize the challenging of an election result. According to the First Amendment of the Constitution, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech and prevent citizens from petitioning the government for redress of grievances. But the strongly Democrat Fulton County of Georgia convened a grand jury that deliberated and decided that 18 persons, as well as Donald Trump, should be indicted on 10 charges of offending against the state regulations during the presidential election in 2020. Fulton County Attorney General Fanny Willis read out the indictments, but without any further explanation of how they came about. Did you hear or read that one of the indicted is rapper Kanye West's former publicist, Travian Kuti? That's funny. Would Trump have needed him? It is evident that all this was predetermined before ever the grand jury sat down because Reuters showed a screenshot from the Fulton County Prosecutor's website before the grand jury deliberated, listing the almost identical list of indictments announced by the Attorney General. And when asked about it, the counsel said, Oh, that's all fictitious. That is another proof that the justice system is corrupt. We also must ask why these indictments are produced two and a half years after the event to which they refer, when all this was known and discussed since then. To quote Bob Dylan's song, the answer is blowing in the wind. Everyone knows about it, even CNN and their ilk. But politics is a dirty business. These cases are timed to come to trial during the time when the presidential campaign is in full swing and that will detract from the alleged crimes of the Bidens and may also require court appearances by Trump and so prevent him from devoting time to the campaign. Why are these lawyers and advisors indicted who simply did what they were retained for, their job? The bottom line is that the Democrats are working with foul means to conduct these trials 
before the presidential election to prevent Donald Trump from getting the Republican nomination when it is most likely because he is streets ahead of all the other candidates. They are fully aware that when the cases go to appeal, the Supreme Court, as all prominent constitutional lawyers predict, everything will be thrown out and Trump will be a free man. But by then, the election will have been decided and the Democrats hope that their corrupt maneuvers work for them. And Joe Biden, or their nominee, will again occupy the Oval Office and most of all, the court cases against him or Hunter Biden will be favorably resolved and the alleged Biden crimes will be forgotten, but the court of public opinion will not stand for it. Is it a rumor or is it fact that Douglas Emhoff, the husband of Kamala Harris, owns or part owns the company that made the 2020 voting counting machines? If you know anything about that, please tell us. That would qualify as conflict of interest. Write to Walter at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com Until next time, when I hope to bring you again news, views and interviews from Israel and the rest of the Jewish world, this is Walter Bingham wishing you a good and healthy week and please don't forget to see how your elderly neighbor copes in this hot weather that still prevails in many parts of the world. Here in Israel, we reach the mid-30s Celsius in addition to high humidity. Goodbye.